Welcome to our series of special podcasts this week from Business in Vancouver, honoring our recipients of Chief Financial Officer of the Year. The awards and our podcasts are made possible with the partnership as a presenting sponsor of the Chartered Professional Accountants of British Columbia and with the sponsorship of TELUS. We're grateful for their support, particularly during a very challenging year, and it has been a challenging year for almost all businesses, and our six recipients are emblematic of how financial stewardship has excelled in many instances in our province. Uh, Our guests today are two of the six winners. Other podcasts in this series will feature the other four. Uh, CFO Hitesh Katari of the BC Children's Hospital, one of our province's most respected institutions, is the winner in our not-for-profit category. And CFO and VP Acquisitions, Greg Goodmanis of uh, Diversified Royalty Corporation, a firm that acquires top-line royalty streams, is the winner in our Rising Star category. Congratulations to both of you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Greg, let me start with you. It's it's been an extraordinary year. Um, Help me understand what you've learned. Well, that uh, the world can change very quickly, and uh, obviously, working you know with all the stakeholders involved has been very active. Uh, and right from the start, you know, we have six royalty partners, fantastic businesses, and uh, different challenges affect different businesses uh, in various ways, and uh, some a lot more than others. As you can imagine, full service dining um, is one of the more harder hits. Um, you know, oil change would be less so. Um, but uh, across the board, uh, working with those management teams, being proactive with our lenders, um, chatting obviously with our auditors and shareholders and, and keeping everyone apprised of, of what we're doing and uh, has been really the lay of the land for, for, the, for the beginning of the, of the chaos anyway. Yeah, Tesh, what's, uh, what's, what's been the education in 2020? Uh, a few things, uh, you know, the, the really quick uh, transition from uh, working from the office to working remotely from home um, uh, was amazing. Uh, RIT did a great job. And, you know, with the advent of, of the technology that's available nowadays, you know, with virtual private networks and for our case, Microsoft Office 365, I mean, you can really work seamlessly from anywhere. And that's the, the lesson that uh, that came to light Uh Prior to the pandemic, we were very much um, an organization that preferred people to work from the from the office because there was a lot of cultural benefit to, to doing so. And while that has been obviously um, lost a little bit, I would say, um, the ability to actually work from home um, has been pretty, pretty seamless. Yeah. In terms of our business, uh, similar to what Greg said, there's been some, some parts of our operation that have definitely... Um, had to pivot uh, very significantly. For example, our galas, obviously you can't have 500 people galas anymore. So uh, we've had to look at digital fundraising strategies to to offset that. Um, But thankfully we are quite a diversified operation and and that has meant uh, a big deal to us because parts of our operation continue to to do very well, even in this pandemic environment. I wanna ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Hitesh, stick with you for a second here. When a pandemic hits, how does a CFO have to lean in? Well, you know, every organization is different. Um, I will tell you that at our organization, um, we have built some contingency reserves for, for the unknown, for, for crises at times like this. And so for us, it was very much uh, steady as she goes. You know, we didn't want to panic our employees with, with what was going on. And for us, it was really important to, in fact, convey the opposite to our employees, to convey job security and the fact that, that we're here for them during this difficult time and we're going to stay with them. And, you know, hopefully that loyalty will pay off once the pandemic passes, because it is, a, 
you know, prior to this pandemic hitting, it was a very tight job market, both in the not-for-profit not -for -profit sector, but I think even in the for-profit sector. And so to me, one of the, the lessons learned is really you, you've got to show that, that trust in your people on a long-term basis. So that's, that's one takeaway for myself. And the other one, like I said, is we're, we're lucky that we've got contingency reserves so we can still withstand something like this. I worry about smaller, especially charities that might be um, relying on one or two primary sources of funding. Mm. It's going to be hard for them. Yeah, great. How do you feel the CFO leans in at a, a time like this? I think communication is important. I think everyone wants to be uh, in the loop and know, and even if you don't have the answer, at least chatting with them and telling that you don't know the answer um, is, is very important. And you know, one of the things I, I do remember um, years ago being a, a young investment banker with a gentleman called Fred Wright at Capital West, and one of the lessons he taught was tag. The tag, as he called it, was very important. And always reaching out more often than you think, even if you don't know the answer yet, um, has been important. So right out of the start, um, obviously reached out to a royalty partner, set out uh, re regular communication with them. Um, lenders, lenders are very important. We're fortunate to have the you know support of three excellent financial institutions, but you know tagging them, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. regularly. Um, how are the weekly sales doing? What are your projected covenants going to be? Do we know what next week's going to be? And it might just be simply, we don't know. Here's what we do know. Mm -hmm. um, and that open communication um, I think is, is, is very important in a time of crisis as opposed to uh, silence because in a, in a void of information, uh, people assume the worst. Mm. Uh, so even if you don't know or the information isn't great, this doll was better to reach out and, and just you know, inform people what you know. Yeah. And similarly for us, uh, no, sorry, go ahead. For, similarly go ahead. for us too, I mean, it uh, points to the fact that you know, for us, our, our primary stakeholder obviously are our donor base. And not being able to see our donors face to face um, in this pandemic mm -hmm. environment has really um, made us think about how do we still connect with our donor base. And so um, we've done a, a lot of work and effort on just pure gratitude calls or stewardship phone calls with our donor base, just to keep them up to date with what's going on in the organization, what's going on at the hospital, so that they're connected. Because one of the fears you have with this pandemic is you, you lose that connection. Yeah, I'll follow up on that one, Hitesh. I mean, I heard from a couple of other charitable organizations that when the pandemic struck, in fact, their their longstanding donors were right there, right away, basically offering some support. And it was also very difficult once they were were done to keep following through. That was, that was the period where it became a little bit more challenging. Was that the experience there? Very much so, very much so. We, we, we established a, a rapid response fund right away because, you know, COVID, although it's had a, a lesser impact on children, it does, does affect children as well. And so, the you know, BC Children's Hospital was also sort of set up for, for dealing with COVID. And um, there was a, an outpouring from the public as to what can they do. And so we did set up a rapid response fund. So that was one example of where, you know, our loyal donors came through, but also the other area that surprisingly, you know, we did we did notice was uh, our monthly donor program, which is some of our most loyal donors who give us on a monthly basis. That's actually increased in this pandemic environment. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, Greg, your your partnerships uh, are are really quite diverse, and and some would have obviously operated and fared better in this uh, in this term than others. Do you does it mean that you shower a lot more attention on those that are having uh, slightly more challenges in all of this or 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 do you you know actually try to 
make sure that those that are actually faring pretty well are really uh, doing extraordinary contributions here. Well, we try to do both uh, and obviously be in touch and see how, what assistance we can provide. Um, we're not operating management. Um, we've partnered with excellent businesses with very strong management teams. And so we're not trying to overstep and, and tell them what to do. We very much support them and believe in them. Uh, but to your first question, you know, the reality is, yes, you end up spending more time with uh, the challenges and whether or not the challenge is, you know, proportionate as a percentage of your business, huge, small or medium. If it is a challenge, that's where you have to spend your attention and time. Um, and as you can imagine, um, it's not the pandemic did not hit businesses in different industries equally, um, some much more than others. And uh, yes, um, taking the long term view, we believe we partnered with excellent businesses, excellent brands, excellent management teams. Um, and over a long period of time, whether it's a bit of a timeout for a few months or we'll see where it goes, you know, not losing track of the long term outlook. And the reason we uh, entered into these uh, agreements in the first place is obviously we believe in the businesses. Uh, and so taking that long term view, despite being in a in a crisis situation, I think is, is important. And we try to do that. Let me ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Greg. Um, what surprised you in this period? Um, how quickly um, you can pivot to online and to Hitesh's point of working remotely, obviously, you know, we have a relatively small office, and so that happened instantaneously. That worked quite well. Um, and you know, dealing with auditors, banks, and shareholders and such um, was relatively straightforward to do so with the advent of technology. One of the ones that I was most impressed with is one of our realty partners is Oxford Learning. A lot of in-person tutoring, tutoring, as you can imagine, has been their business for decades in a very short period of time, pivoting to you know, online Zoom type of calls and the success they had with that and, and sort of one's testament to where we are with technology, but also to you know, impressive management and just um, willpower to pivot and to work through despite a challenge. Um, has really surprised me how quickly everything could transition to remote, digital, online, and and work uh, despite being a challenge quite well. I'm very impressed that uh, you're able to entertain and cook for people in your office right there. <laughs> yes, that's that's what we like to do. That's right. <laughs> we'll serve must must be very good for relationship building. Exactly. <laughs> and Hitesh, it looks like uh, looks like you're you're kind of uh, locked in some kind of. Uh, sell there <laughs> <laughs> I, I shut the uh the blinds because of the sun or sometimes the sun coming in although not today um but yeah you know for us again uh, as i said earlier uh, i probably was very surprised at how seamless the transition to working remotely was and because we're deemed uh non-essential mm. uh, and we actually we, we share our premises with the research institute which is deemed essential so in terms of returning to work for us, um, we're kind of at the, the back of the bus. You know, we want to make sure that the, the research folks are able to, to come in earlier and we have to share the resources, the space with them. So um, we're probably really going to be staying longer working remotely than some of the other organizations. And so far, so good. Like I said, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty seamless uh, in terms of the technology enabling us to to work remotely. I will say though that um, for us, it's been really important to recognize that it's not, um, it's the, it's the, it's what you don't see in your employees that can be a challenge in terms of the culture, right? That you, you mm -hmm. can build culture a lot easily when you're all in the same environment. And that's the thing that we worry about longer term if we're going to work remotely is how do you, how do you maintain that culture and that engagement uh, socially with your workforce? And so we're, we've tried to focus on some things specifically to, 
to help with that. Yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about that reaction because uh, obviously workplaces were designed for a reason, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's not, it's not like the idea of remote work was some kind of great no. innovation of 2020. I mean, offices were put together and workplaces were put together for a purpose. So how are you, how are you able to, uh, to yes. see so, so, a of that? You know? Well, one of the, one of the key things is, is constant communication, whether it's through, uh, you know, uh, an email or whether it's through a town hall, we do have regular town halls with the executive team and all staff. Um, that allows for dialogue uh, back and forth and also it just allows for, for communication of what's happening here at the hospital, here at research uh, for, our, for our foundation folks. And then uh, on, a, on a lesser level, you know, we've had sort of um, weekly virtual get togethers in terms of uh, having lunch together, but virtually so mm-hmm. that you can have a chat with, with, with a colleague. Um, you know, so, so those kinds of things. And we are thinking about what can we do uh, as we, approach the holiday season as well. We've historically had a holiday get together and obviously now we're going to have to be careful with how we do that, but we're, we're thinking through that and we might have small pockets of, of teams of eight to 10 people that get yeah. together. And, and Greg, your, your shop, what, um, what have been some of those strategies? Uh, well, immediately when it first hit, obviously we worked remotely and um, in the short term that works very smoothly. And, but I find you particularly lean on longevity of relationships so if you've worked with uh, employees um, for quite some time, you've built trust, you've been a rapport, uh, to Tasha's point, you've built culture, and that works relatively smoothly, and you're kind of leaning on that as a bit of a crutch. Um, where it starts to be more of a challenge in the longer term is um, younger employees, newer employees, as people join an organization um, without that longstanding relationship and rapport, um, it's hard for them, I think a lot harder to get into the culture, into the system. And so that'll be the challenge sort of as time progresses. And, you know, in the summer we went to, we migrated a little bit from directly from home to a few days a week in the office and trying to balance that. And so um, I spend about half my time in the office, half remote. um, And we've suggested uh, two days a week, essentially for our, for our office um, at everyone's election and, you know, being cognizant of things that people are, you know, not wanting to take public transit for various reasons. And so do you have to pivot your, your policy to you know, reimbursing parking, accommodating that, making sure that people um, are comfortable and don't feel that they're being sort of pressured into something against their will? Because I do think that, you know, even if it's only once a week or that kind of thing, that there needs to be some, um, you know, physically distant, distant but still face-to-face uh, interactions. They're just, they're just vital for, uh, for the long-term organizational just cohesion, I think. Yeah, great. Um, Hitesh, what, what's been your proudest moment in this period? Um, just, you know, the way everybody uh, within the organization, uh, first of all, starting with our foundation, has come together uh, in this moment of crisis to, to pivot, to be nimble, to be, to be flexible, to be open, to, to change. Um, uh, that's been very, very impressive. And then if I go beyond the foundation for a minute, um, you know, even, even the, the greater community here, the doctors and the researchers that we work with daily, they've been amazing to work with. Um, you know, the, the reality is that the pandemic is not stopping childhood diseases from continuing. You know, people are still getting cancer. Kids are still getting, you know, blood disorders or whatever it might be. And so um, the openness of the doctors and researchers to try and connect, continue to connect with our donor base 
through online forums. So we've had a whole, whole bunch of sort of online webinars where our doctors and researchers showcase some of what they're doing to our donor database, uh, albeit virtually, as opposed to here in person. So just the ability to be flexible and adapt has been uh, amazing. Yeah, Greg, tell me about your proudest time, proudest moment. Um, I would say, um, you know, how everyone interacted, uh, we're mirroring a lot of the same responses here, but, uh, you know, from our office to our realty partner, how everyone really rallied very quickly. People didn't just tune out and say, I'm going home and this is too scary. Everyone really uh, tried to see what they could do to make this thing work. And, uh, you know, as an aside and a parallel to that, I'm also on the Lionsgate Hospital Foundation board and saw the same um, professionalism of the medical professionals involved, but the rallying of the community and seeing how immediately everyone stepped up, wanted to be a part, whether it's from, you know, can I drop things off? Can I donate something? Can I be involved? And I thought it was, you know, it's easy to get cynical watching the news, but when a crisis hit and seeing how uh, um, sort of humanity rallied was, uh, was, was really heartwarming, I thought. Yeah. I've asked uh, a lot of questions about what you've learned in this time, uh, and you've answered in a lot of cases about the operations that you're part of, but I want to ask what you've learned about yourselves. Greg? <laughs> um, that, you know, and a lot of reflects on, you know, whether it's just work life, charity involvement, but also family as well, that uh, it's, you know, it's important to, to pause and make sure that, uh, you know, your family's okay and that your children are not too stressed about a very uh, challenging situation and, and trying to really pause and, and accept uh, where reality is and really focusing on things that are important. And, uh, you know, for me, that would personally be family. Yeah. Has it given you a, a slightly different balance, you think, that, that might sustain? Uh, it's always hard to tell it how, you know, balance uh, swings one year to the next, but mm -hmm. for sure, I have definitely, you know, really appreciated a lot more of the time uh, with my family, with my kids, and, you know, it can be on top of each other in a house when everyone's home from school all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, you know, trying to reflect on that and see how important it is, uh, and try not to lose sight of that as the world, you know, progresses on and returns back to whatever it returns back to and new challenges and opportunities and stuff arise to, to not forget that and to, to keep focusing on that. Yeah. Hitesh, what have you learned about yourself? Yeah. So, you know, uh, it, when this first hit, uh, the first few weeks of working remotely, I was pretty, pretty happy and, and quite, you know, um, sort of um, satisfied with how easy it was to, to adapt. But then as time has unfolded and now we're, you know, literally about seven months into this thing, um, I did realize uh, a subtle stress that was creeping in uh, to myself. And I, I think I'm a pretty grounded individual as a whole. And yet I saw myself, um, you know, reacting sometimes to things that I wouldn't normally react to and made me realize that there is an impact of this pandemic that, that um, is playing on, on a lot of people. And it is bringing out, unfortunately, some of the, the, the mental cracks that we've seen in society. So it was a reminder to me that, you know, when I'm dealing with, for example, my staff at the foundation to, to ask, you know, how are they doing? I, I perhaps wouldn't normally ask as often as I do these days, you know, hey, how are, how are you coping? How are you doing? And it's, it's a very diverse um, response. I mean, some have no issues and some um, are desperate to get back into the office because of whatever their, their home environment might, might not be conducive to working from home. Um, and, and some with kids also have a different reaction because they're not dealing with multiple dimensions of working from home, 
looking after the you know children in many cases and and multitasking in, in more ways than I can imagine. So yeah, we're here talking in mid October, and and I wonder from both of you what you feel is possible to predict and what isn't possible pr to predict in the year ahead and how you're how you're dealing with that greg um well to start with the impossible timing is impossible i think you know you know at, as we've seen over the last six seven months you know there's been a million different predictions of when things happen all that kind of stuff and i think that's the impossible piece uh, to predict is is when things, whether it's return or get back or vaccines or all that kind of stuff, I think the timing is is very impossible. But when you can predict is that, you know, as Hitesh pointed out, there's more stress in the system. There will still be challenges. People still need that regular communication and relationships are still important. So you can predict that that will continue and that you need to, um, you know, keep all those relationships current and keep... Uh, uh, the communication open because I think the timing of all these challenges is just is is really hard to predict. Yeah, Hitesh, the the knowns and the unknowns. What what are they? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, we're in a environment here where I, I have a chance to speak with the, the head of research from time to time, who is probably one of the more knowledgeable people in terms of uh, the potential for a vaccine being developed and the timeline for that. So, in speaking with with him recently, um, you know, uh, it, it wasn't all that different than what you probably heard in the media in terms of uh, phase three trials, you know, being completed sometime towards the end of this calendar year, one or two of them will likely be successful and then be, you know, rolled out to the, to the public sometime in sort of spring, summer of next year with the hope that, you know, with some level of efficacy of the, uh, the vaccine, we might have a new normal by the fall of next year. That's mm -hmm. kind of the, you know, rough timeline. And, um, for, for us as a foundation, I guess what that really says is that it's still a long ways away. And for example, you know, I'm not sure when we're going to be able to hold that in-person gala again. It, it may be two, three years down the road. Who, who knows where this thing goes? So yeah. that's a definite unknown. Um, but at the same time, you know, I do believe there will be a new normal eventually. And you have to think long term. You, you can't be tactical. You've got to be strategic in these times. And, and having that long-term lens. And, and we're fortunate that we can have that long-term lens because of what I talked about earlier with our contingencies and our diversification. So that's what I hold on to, that stability. Yeah. Last question. Um, it, this, you know, we've talked all throughout this about uh, some of the stresses and strains and pivots and, and so on. And I wonder whether uh, you can tabulate all of that and answer a question honestly, because it's maybe a question that you want to answer politically, but answer it honestly. Do you like your job more than you did before the pandemic, Greg? Uh, yes, I think, you know, challenges, you know, obviously the, the tough times show, you know, what's important and it's easy to be, you know, things go well when times are good. Um, but yes, it reflects back on, you know, I'm happy with the, the people I interact with on a daily basis. I'm happy with the organization that we've set up and grown from, from scratch to this, you know, Six royalty partner diversified business. Um, our royalty partners have been great, um, and so yes, it's it's been um, a challenge for sure. But challenge is obviously where things are, you know, yes, stressful, but also exciting and uh, an opportunity. There's always opportunity in times of change, um, and when the world is static, is is the lesser exciting times and fewer opportunities. But uh, 
trying to stay positive and reflecting back on it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Intention. Yeah. You know, I would say one of the most important roles of a CFO is to, to, to manage during a crisis, right? I mean, to, to really help manage the business during a crisis. So um, to be that calming, calming influence, if you can be. And um, I've had a fair bit of feedback from staff lately, oddly enough, about the fact that um, I've been able to convey to our, our workforce why everything's okay, you know, why, why we're going to be okay because we have this diversification and, uh, and we have these reserves built in. And I think, um, you know, when I look back at that, I mean, it's, it's easy to manage something in good times. And, you know, you don't necessarily get that, that sort of feedback that you do in these hard times. So, so overall, I think it has been more gratifying in some ways to, to, to manage through this crisis. But, but I don't want it to last for very long. <laughs> I'd be happy to be back to our normal world. You'd be happy to be managing in great times again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you, uh, Greg at Diversified Royalty Corp and Hitesh at BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Both of you, uh, congratulations on the awards and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure speaking with you. Our other podcasts in the series are going to fe- uh, feature our other four winners, Simon Bodymore of Tasktop Technologies, Andrea Johnson at Pinnacle Renewable Energy, Amy Lamb of the Chartered Professional Accountants of BC, and Don Mathis. At, BC, at UBC Properties Trust. We're gonna stage a modest in-person event for our winners on October 27th at Terminal City Club and invite you to watch it online or at our BIV.com site. I'm Kirk Point. thanks a lot for joining us today. I'm the editor-in-chief and publisher of Business in Vancouver. We'll see you again. Mm-hmm.